Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. I'm the associate pastor. Thank you, Nick. The associate pastor, not to be confused with I'm Wes, the associopath-ster, just so you know. I want to ask a couple questions as we get started this morning. I just want to ask you why you came today. I just want you to think about, like you've made a decision this morning, you got up, got dressed, you drove here. So what were the motivations for bringing you to North this morning? Just think about it for a minute. What, what made you choose to come here? There's maybe more than one reason. Um, but something motivated you to come here. And it might be that you love doing what we just did. You love singing and worship with your fellow believers. It might be that you've really loved this Galatian series and it's been helping you grow in your personal study time or you've been discussing them with your family or your life group or with your friends. Maybe you came uh, today, this morning, because you really love listening to Chad and Brent, and you're re- realizing you have to listen to Wes today, and you're looking for a way out. Maybe you came today because you wanted to see your friends. Uh, maybe you came this morning for the donuts or the coffee or bagels, which are always great. Maybe you came today just out of sheer obligation. There's that internal pressure that can is compelling you to be here right now, but you don't really want to be. You're just waiting for it to end so you can roll out and go to lunch or whatever. Maybe there's an external pressure from someone else or some other expectation. But regardless, I, Wes, am glad that you're here. And regardless of your motivation to be here, I believe there can be something for you, even if you are sitting and have a terrible attitude right now. I believe there's something for you because of what I believe about Jesus. Jesus, who is the hope for all humanity, the creator of the world, and in perfect unity with his Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit, came to earth, lived a life that included pain, suffering, anxiety, hurtful people, and ultimately dying a horrible death on a cross, being raised from the dead, so that he, so that you can have life with him. That Jesus loves you. That Jesus created you. And he created you in his own image. That gives you inherent worth. Every single one of you has inherent worth because you are created in the image of of Jesus. And he sees you. He knows you. He fights for you. He died for you because you are you, just as you are. And no matter why you're here, I want that to rest over you this morning. Man Weekend was a couple weekends ago. I had an awesome time up there along with 40 other guys. It was encouraging to our faith. It was encouraging, you know, just to have fun together. 
I had several impactful, meaningful conversations while I was there. One of them was uh, while I was playing Frisbee golf, actually, and I do have to admit, I boasted that I was going to win Frisbee golf, and I did not win Frisbee golf. I'm pretty sure at least a couple people beat me that day, Mark Perez and Zane Belden. I'm coming after you next year. But as we were walking this course, we, one discussion that we had was, what are some of the things that have been said to us or said about us that have impacted us, that have made a difference in our lives, that stuck, that we can recall easily that thing that someone said to us or said about us. And all four of us shared something, and without planning it, we, we realized quickly after that there was a theme for all, all four of us when we shared something that we could recall easily that was said to us or about us. And what do you think that was? What was the theme of those four things? They were all negative. They were all negative. And it was harder for us to recall. So we're like, okay, those were all negative. Let's think about positive things. It was harder for us to recall those things that were positive. It was easier to recall the hurtful, the scarring, the painful things that had said to us. Why do we do that? What is that? I think part of the reason is because words create worlds. I think it's Mark Batterson who said it. He might have stole it from someone else, but our words create worlds. They create worlds because they are amazingly powerful. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the words we say. And those who love it, those who love those words, will eat of its fruit. Matthew 12, 37 says, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And researchers uh, who study people um, came up with this number. I don't know how they got to this number, but this, these are the experts on research and people. They said that on average, the average person will think 60,000 thoughts a day. And uh, the Cleveland Clinic, which is similar to like the Mayo Clinic, People come from all over the world to go to the Cleveland Clinic. Says that of those 60,000 thoughts that an average person has a day, 80% or four out of five of them are negative. So on average, people are thinking thousands and thousands of negative thoughts a day. So, all right, Wes, why are you telling us this? Can we just get to the scripture, read it, and explain it? All right? But track with me. Words are powerful. They create worlds, but our words have to come from somewhere. They bubble up from somewhere, and they bubble up from our heart. They bubble up from our thoughts. And if 80% of our thoughts are negative, what's going to come out of our mouth? We think it, and then at times, we say it. And in a real way today, as we consider Paul's message to the Galatians, and to us, our thoughts and our words are significant, and we should take them seriously. Now, Chad and Brent have done a great job pointing out the message that Paul is giving to us through the book of Galatians. And the message, simply put, is this, is that the gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, is not only good, but it gives us new life. And we are called, as followers of Jesus, to live by it, share it with others, and to allow it to reach every aspect of our life. 
Well, Paul, he has some thoughts he's going to share with us today and some words for us today. And we're going to look at just four verses, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But I'm absolutely sure Chad stuck me with this one on purpose. He said, oh, Wes, I have a trip with my daughter. Can you take over this passage today? And I'm like, sure. And then I read it, and I'm like, okay. He did that on purpose. So let's read it. But when Peter, or Caiaphas, came to Antioch, I, which is Paul, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I, this is Paul, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? That's a fun passage. Paul confronting the guy that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on you, you're a rock. So that's what we get to talk about today. But the more I think about it, the more I studied it, I was like, this has, actually has deep meaning, and I'm grateful to be able to discuss it today with you guys. So let's take a closer look at the passage. What do we learn from it? Peter eats with the Gentiles, okay, as a Jew, but refuses to eat with them when his Jewish buddies are around. Well, why? Culturally, Jews and Gentiles not only didn't get along, they couldn't stand each other. Jews and non-Jews, or Gentiles, had extremely different customs, laws, spiritual beliefs, and worship, and every expression in their life, from art to food to history to clothing, were literally different. It was extremely frowned upon for a Jewish person to interact with a non-Jew, and even dangerous to do so. Thankfully, Jesus changed all that, not only for the Jews and for the Gentiles, but for us as well. Jesus literally took the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to the non-Jews, shared the gospel with them. And Jesus lived a life that exemplified that we are to love and be in relationship with all kinds of people. Yes, those people we are to love and be in relationship with. Peter calls out Peter for or Paul calls out Peter for a couple things. He calls out his hypocrisy. Peter acted one way around certain people and in a different way around someone else, and he was being a hypocrite, and he was being destructive to the message of Jesus. Paul was also calling out Peter for misrepresenting the truth of Jesus, that we are all loved and created in his image. And how did Peter misrepresent the truth of Jesus? He did so by attaching something to faith in Jesus other than faith in Jesus. What was he attaching to the gospel that he shouldn't be doing? Something that would have been really natural for Peter to do. Peter, raised as a Jew, lived with specific customs, laws, and beliefs, and he, including an understanding that being circumcised was part of what it meant to be God's people. 
So it makes sense that Peter would attach this to faith in Jesus. But Paul calls that out as wrong. What Peter was doing was communicating the gospel and. You're a real Christian if. It's Jesus and. But it's not. It's just faith in Jesus. It's not Jesus and circumcision. It's not Jesus and Jewish customs. And apparently, it's not Jesus and not eating with the Gentiles when the Jewish buddies are around. Peter was wrong. Paul calls him out, and he calls him out in front of others. Now, let's look at one of the ways to, that we interpret and read God's word for, for a minute. This was important for me to learn. There's a difference between prescriptive places in Scripture, prescriptive aspects of Scripture, and non-prescriptive aspects of the Bible. In other words, there are some words, phrases, actions, and teachings in Scripture that we are to follow exactly as it's listed. We see it, we read it, we're to do exactly that. That is prescriptive, or a standard in which we are called to live. But there's also some words, phrases, actions, teachings that are not intended to be prescriptive exactly as they are written. For example, when Jesus encountered a blind man, he spit in the dirt, made a mud ball, put it on his eyes as part of his healing process. Is that what we are to do? Is that prescriptive? Is that the standard? I would argue no. Probably not supposed to when someone's visually impaired, spit in the dirt, put a mud ball on their eye. What is, what are we to take from that passage is that people are to be loved, cared for, given compassion. Jesus also gave a sermon from a boat. Is that prescriptive? Is that a standard for sermon presentations? Hope not, we're in the desert and it'd be real awkward to have a boat up here on stage. That'd be weird. What is a standard? What is prescriptive from that story is we should be telling others about Jesus. Speaking of boats, apparently if we do exactly what's written in Scripture and we follow Jesus' example when we're in a boat and the boat is about to capsize and we're in the middle of a storm, we're supposed to take a nap. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, there's, those are some easier places in Scripture where we're like, of course, we're not supposed to, you know, we're, that's not a standard, we're not to do exactly what that says. But there's other places in Scripture where it's more difficult to know, is this something prescriptive for my walk in G- with Jesus, or is it, is it not? And I would, th- I would say that what we see in our passage today is one of those places where it's harder to distinguish, is this exactly how we're supposed to respond? Because we see verse 14 Paul says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? Is that how we are to act with people like Paul did? Are we to confront people and confront them in front of other people? And if we're to do that, are we to do that every single time? I would argue no, that is not prescriptive. And one way to tell if something is prescriptive or a standard that we should live by or not in Scripture is to compare it to the whole of Scripture, other stories, other interactions, and namely how Jesus responded to others. So let's go to the source. What did Jesus say about handling disagreements with people? He said in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, if another believer 
So that's a, that's a distinguishing word here. This is not believer to unbeliever. This is believer to believer. And I believe this is prescriptive. This is how we should respond. This is the standard. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Yay. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then, if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. It seems that Paul, in our passage today, jumped to step three. Kind of confronted them in front of other people. And Paul kind of has a reputation for this. So that's why I would argue it's not prescriptive. He actually confronted a high priest in Acts and then has to recant or like apologize and say, oh, I shouldn't shouldn't have done that. But for the most part, I believe Jesus' teaching on this starts with us going to the person. Raise your hand if you have gone to confront someone and it went horribly bad. Raise your hand. Yep, been there, done that. And it's always the other person's fault. Not the way I've confronted. Raise your hand if you've had a confrontation and it was actually really successful and meaningful to you. Okay, those feel a lot better. And part of this passage that I don't think gets pointed out very much when Jesus talks about how we are to confront other believers is how we are to treat them if we go through the whole process and and it doesn't go the way we want it to go. He says treat them like a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. It feels like, you know, pretty harsh to me at first glance. But Then I have to think about who said these words. Jesus said these words. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Zacchaeus, hey dude. You're a corrupt tax collector. I'm coming to have a meal at your house. So we need to consider that even if our confrontations don't go the way we want them to go. So what are we to take from this passage? I think we're to take two things that Paul is calling out. He's calling out hypocrisy, and he's calling out misrepresenting the message of Jesus. And so how do we do that? When it comes to being a hypocrite, Uh, We need to consider the implications of what it means. Obviously, it was important enough for Paul to call Peter out on it and in front of other people, so it's important for us to to act as the same way in every situation and circumstance. Vernon Manning, one of my favorite authors and speakers, I think he died like 10 years ago, but he's quoted saying, saying this. It's always stuck with me. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So are you the same person, no matter who you're with or what you are doing? Now, there are obviously nuances to relationships, social norms, cultural norms. You're going to act a little differently around a child than maybe you would an adult. Maybe treat your boss a little differently than your coworker. Like there's, there's social cues and understandings, obviously. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at the core of you, are you the same person, no matter who you are and what you're doing? If not, then you may be a hypocrite. My dad did this really well. 
He was a great example. As a pastor himself, I got to see him at church. I got to see him at home. I got to see him at my baseball games. I got to see him at the grocery store. I got to see him everywhere. And he was the same loving man no matter who he was with and what he was doing. That had a massive, massive impact on me. That that's how we are to live. And it could have had a massive impact on me the other way, right? If I saw him being a hypocrite, that would also affect me in a different direction. Sometimes, though, he was too much himself, and he dressed a little dorky, and I'm like, Dad, come on, those sweatpants? No, you're embarrassing. Be someone else right now. As followers of Jesus, and as we say we're followers of Jesus, we need to act like it and not be hypocrites. Going back to the principle that we started off with today, our thoughts in here, our heart, leads us to words. Words create worlds, and our thoughts also lead us to actions. So when it comes to avoiding being a hypocrite, what are you thinking? What's going on in your, your heart, in your mind? How is your thought life? Because most likely, your thoughts will lead to words, or your thoughts will lead to your actions. So it's important for us to consider what we think about. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. Larry Anderson used to always say, 10-5 it. Take every thought captive. 10-5 it. 2 Corinthians 10-5. Why is it important for us to be mindful of what we're thinking about? Well, it's important because what if Peter had done that? What if Peter, in this passage, had been thinking to himself, what, what, what's going on in my mind right now? Because what was going on was yeah, I'm cool to hang out with these Gentiles when my Jewish buddies aren't around, but I'm not when they're not here. Maybe there's a disconnect there. And if it, he had been mindful, if he had taken every thought captive, he might not have responded like he did. He might not have used the words like he did. And it would have created less tension, and he would have represented not only what he's, what, the same person, no matter who he's with, not being a hypocrite. It might have changed that. It starts with our thoughts, our heart, then our words, and our actions. This principle also applies to representing the gospel and the message of Jesus. It's Jesus, not Jesus and. So I'm going to grab this. Oh, here it is. I'm going to grab this old, unusable mic stand. And this represents the gospel of Jesus. Kind of a weird thing. It'd be better if it was a cross. But this represents faith in Jesus. It's not faith in Jesus and like what Peter was trying to talk about. So there's a difference in salvation, the gospel message, and then living it out. So living it out is our discipleship, our obedience. It's, it's how we, you know, sanctification, if you will. It's living out our faith. It's the fruit of the gospel. But the gospel is different than how we live out our life. The gospel is Jesus only. It's not Jesus and. It's not even Jesus and the old Jewish customs, which seemed great for God's people for a really long time. So we're not to attach anything to Jesus. When we do, we're doing what Peter did 
and were misrepresenting the gospel. So what he did was he attached, he says it's Jesus and circumcision. It's Jesus and Jewish customs. And we need to consider for us, are we attaching things to the gospel that are really supposed to be put over here? Because when Jesus interacted with people, he didn't say, clean everything up first so that you can have salvation in me. He just presented himself, just a relationship and a faith in him. We're not to attach anything to that. How we live it out is important, but that's different and distinct from faith in Jesus. It's not Jesus and reading your Bible for an hour a day. It's not Jesus and only listening to Caleb radio. It's not Jesus and being a five-point Calvinist. And if you don't know that term, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's not Jesus and the American dream of having a good job and having 2.3 kids living in Scottsdale. It's not Jesus and your family. We're to, be, we're to put them second behind our faith in Jesus. This is where I get tripped up. I can put my family in front of my salvation message in Jesus. It's not Jesus and the Ohio State Buckeyes are the best team on the planet. It's not Jesus and Twizzlers are better than Red Vines, even though they are. If you don't believe me, you're crazy. It's not Jesus and praying with eloquent and neatly crafted prayers. It's not Jesus and not watching rated R movies. It's not Jesus and not cheating on your taxes. It's not Jesus and voting for a specific political candidate. It's not Jesus and perfectly executing sexual purity or orientation. That may be over here, but it's not the gospel. It's not Jesus and only going to a Bible church. It's not Jesus and patriotism. It's not Jesus and anything. It's just Jesus. And it's our faith in him that saves us because of who he is and because what he did for us, not what we did. It's a, an acceptance, it's a faith in him. And I find a lot of comfort in that because that is a compelling message for the world, I believe. It's not about all this other stuff over here. It's about someone who died for you, who lived a life. He came down from perfect heaven and chose to live on this earth. And that's beautiful. Like, that's a compelling message. This person who created the world, created you in his image, wants a relationship with you. That makes this other stuff over here seem seem easier. But it's not about that. It's about the message of Jesus in our life. And it changes us. It changes us because we are given a new life, a new reality in him. So in order to not misrepresent faith in Jesus... We need to mind our thoughts, take every thought captive. What are the words we're using? 
What are we sending in text messages? We also need to avoid being a hypocrite. I like to say to the students for years, like, do you act different at school than you do at home? Do you have a school identity and a home identity? And for us, it would be, what's your work identity, your home identity? Are you different when your spouse is in the room versus when she's not in the room? How do we respond when we're playing sports? On Facebook, social media. Representing Jesus requires us to consider our thoughts, our words, and our actions. And hopefully, we can take that message to the rest of the world and give them hope. And it gives me hope. So we're going to sing a song that's just been in my head and heart the last month or so. My wife's probably heard it a hundred times in the morning when we're listening to music and drinking coffee and hanging out. It's called Give Me Jesus. It's kind of an oldie but a goodie, but seemed appropriate for today. So let's respond by singing this song together, but also considering what are, what's our thought life like? What words are we using and what actions come from those? All right. Lord, we thank you that it's just about your, you, your life, your truth of the gospel. We get to step into faith with you. And we can mess with that other stuff as we go along. But it's the hope in your life, death, and resurrection, your teaching, how you related with people, all those things is wrapped up in this beautiful thing we call the gospel, the good news, that we get to walk in faith with you. All these things in your name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. I want to encourage you guys to consider going to Tanzania with me and the team that's going to be going, I believe it's July, or June 11th through 22. There's a little table in the lobby. You can talk to Catherine and Steve about that possibility. To conclude our uh, message for today, um, I kind of reserve this time for just letting the Lord take over, and I don't plan what happens after the, the sermon, but it got planned for me this morning as uh, Catherine Plum read me a couple of verses that I think some of the ladies were sitting around. Kathy Boogie might have actually sent it. It's Isaiah 46, 3 and 4. Just let this kind of wash over you. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. That's the Jesus that we get to follow. And that's the Jesus that if you have not received in your heart, your mind started to follow him, we have some folks over here, prayer partners as well, if you'd like to receive Jesus today or talk to someone about that or maybe your doubts, whatever those things might be. And for us as, as believers, let's go and mind our thoughts, words, and actions as we consider avoiding being a hypocrite, and as well as representing Jesus the best way possible. I love you. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.